Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Heavenly Father, we praise you, God. We worship you for who you are, Father. Tonight we come and we realize, Lord, that these words can only give just a small picture of who you are. And God, we are encouraged that we can come into this place and worship you, God. We thank you, God, that we can call you Father. And we thank you, God, that you give us promises. And the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen, meaning we can bank on them. We can trust you, God. And so we come into this place, God, resting in you. And God, our minds, some of our minds are chaotic with the things of this world. And our hearts are restless. And so we come here, we enter into your courts with praise, God. We're coming here tonight with just to have the assurance of knowing you surround us and you are in us and you want to speak to us. And so God, we come with that expectation. Now, Heavenly Father, we know that men can't change the hearts of men. And tonight we don't need eloquence. We don't need intelligence. We don't need the wisdom from men. What we need is the spirit of the living God to come into this place and change our hearts and our minds. So spirit of God, do what you do. Divide yourself amongst this room. Meet us where we are, are all at because we're all in a different place on this journey, but you run to us, God. And so God, we say we are available to hear from you, that we came here tonight to hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. All right, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Thank you for the worship. Let's praise our God this day. Yeah, man, so we're, we're starting a new series, so we had just uh, finished up uh, a series before that where Rasul just crushed the definition of the church and helped us unpack what it was. And we praise God for that because now, you know, when we say we're in a church, sometimes we use that loosely of what it means, but I think we've given us ourselves a more robust definition of what it means to be together in a community and a church. And so now we're starting a different series and it's really having to do with words and, and understanding the power of words. Very interesting though, uh, when you think about things, like the church or other things, other words. Uh, sometimes it's good for us to really go back to the origin of why things began in the first place. And sometimes things that started off one way actually change over time. In other words, it might have had an original purpose, but the original purpose is actually not what it's doing now. It's designed, it's not functioning the way it was intended. You know, bubble wrap actually started off as wallpaper. Did you know that? Bubble, you know, the stuff that you get with uh, toys and other like computers and stuff. That stuff was actually meant in the 60s as wallpaper because in the 60s they thought that was a good idea, praise God. Did you know Coca-Cola was actually created to end morphine addiction? Yeah. And then, and then and ladies, high heels were never meant to be walked in, praise God. Did you know that? No, seriously, high heels were created for Persian uh, people in the Persian army to be able to stand there while they shoot their born arrow. And it's almost like spikes and cleats. It was meant so that you could dig down in the midst of a battle and stay one place, not move around, praise God. So that can help you understand. See, so sometimes we forget why something started originally. Now, that brings us to a, a bigger idea. Oftentimes we can forget the essence of words. The Bible says in Hebrews how the world began. And the world began in Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us that the world began essentially, it says by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And you know what it says that when God created the earth, he used words. And the first time that words were spoken, they were intended to construct, to build, to bring life. And then we see later on in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are being removed from the garden. We see that they are removing, God is rebuking Adam and Eve and moving them away. And many would say that this imagery of moving them out of the life-giving source of Eden was a picture of death, separating. 
And so that's why the Proverbs tell us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That words in and of themselves, the, the original intention of words were always meant to build up or tear down. Words were always meant to bring about flourishing and grace and bounty or they were meant to take away and destroy and remove. Words are never neutral. Words have never been intended to be casual. Words have always been meant in its original design to be a tool for construction. And that's very important because words are very part of our existence. There are about 500,000 words in the English vocabulary, depending on how you define it. If you define dog and dogs as two words, you can get a lot of different words. So there's about 500,000 words in our vocabulary. There are about 10,000 words that we use in our personal vocabularies. And there are about 5,000 words that we can use in a given day. At, a, at the end of one day, the average person talks so much that you could have a 50-page book. In a lifetime, the average person can have 200 books that have 138 pages. And that's the average person. I know some of y'all aren't average, praise God. But, um, <laughs> but I wonder what's in your library. When our words are accumulated over time, they stack up and they give clarity. Words are powerful, they define, they shape. Words are how you understood who you were. Words are how you understand your existence. Words are how we interpret life. We use words to understand everything around us. And yet, we live in a comment section-like culture where words have become increasingly casual. Because of the advent of the internet and the ability for us to communicate without relationship, we have lost our sensitivity to the effect that words have on people, to the effect that words have on God, and to the effect that words have on us. And we have become desensitized to what our lips and even what we type and what it can produce. And there is this idea that being honest, being raw is enough. Being truthful is enough. And the reality is, is that there's a part of us that knows that's not true. When you came here today, you got clothed, praise God. You got dolled up. You arranged yourself to be presentable. Words are no different than that. When you have a thought and it's raw, we know we have to clothe it. We know we have to arrange it. And we know we have to present it. And we have an opportunity every time we have a thought and it has to go and we want it to go out to the world, we clothe it and dress it up and we have an opportunity to present it to the world. And it's a very powerful thing when we clothe evil thoughts. The Bible says in James chapter one, it says that we are called to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And there, James is clearly telling us that there is a progression from our mind to our mouth that we need to take seriously. And this progression isn't just for the benefit of others. This progression is important because if we're honest, if we're honest, words have shaped us for the benefit of our lives, but also to the detriment. I cannot tell you 
In my 20 years of doing ministry, how many beautiful people I have sat down with and counseled that think they're ugly. I cannot tell you how many smart people I've sat down with who really don't think they're smart at all. I can't tell you how many popular people I've sat down with who are truly living lives that are lonely. And when I dig into their life, the reason why they are walking around wounded with the shrapnel in their life is from words from the past. Words that they could not let go of, that they still can't shake. And the truth of the matter is the nursery rhyme was a lie. No, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never, no, sticks and stones may break my bones and words can last a lifetime. They can hurt a lifetime. And words stay because words have always meant to bring life or take life. And the purpose of this series is for this church, for us as a community, to take our words seriously, even though the culture takes words casually. We have to take real attention, pay real attention to the power of words. Do you understand that no other being on the planet has the capability to use Words, I mean, there's parrots who parrot our words. Every animal can communicate, but because we've been made in the image of God, we too can use words. And so in a real way, the very fact that we use words to interpret life is a reflection of our God. And even though our words may not meet his standard, our words in and of themselves are a picture and a reflection of him. In the book of James, if you have your Bible, you can go there, James chapter three. James chapter three. James, who is actually the brother of Jesus, who is known for his piety, known for his practicality, writes this book so that people who have been dispersed Christians who have been dispersed could come together and realize and remember their call as believers and how they are to live in the culture. And so in many ways, this is important for us, those of us that are in the culture today, that we do not let the culture define us. James chapter three, verse one. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we, that's a very important point, because James is lumping himself into this communication. He's saying that I am a teacher as well and I've gotta be careful about what I communicate. We who teach will be judged more strictly. And so the first thing he says is, do not try or do not lust for, have a huge desire to teach merely for influence. And what he is really getting at is be careful. Woe to those who want to influence people who want the crowds to listen to them. Woe to those who want a YouTube or a podcast or you want to pen something or you want to put something out in social media. Woe to those who want to be an influence. Because when you are influential, God is paying attention to you and others, but to the degree you are influencing, God is looking more strictly Whoa, be careful when you say you want to influence people. And the judgment here he's talking about is not heaven or hell. That's taken care of by Jesus Christ. It is only through Christ that we are able to have a relationship with God because he lives the life we could not live. We have now the righteous one dying for the unrighteous. And so judgment comes down on Jesus. So we don't have to worry about our lives being judged in terms of heaven and hell, but we do have to keep in mind, God, just because heaven and hell is taken care of, that does not mean God no longer looks at our lifestyle. He analyzes our lives 
And it says that we will have the judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 4 and 3 actually get into this detail of judgment of the believer. And it's just talking about when we see him, this is when you hear scriptures like, well done. We want to hear well done. And part of the judgment is looking at what we say and how we influence people, how what we write, what we type, what we text, what we email, what we produce, what we put out for people. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says it this way, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Notice, it doesn't say every word. I think we got that, right? You're gonna give an account. He says the careless ones. In other words, you're gonna give an account for the words you weren't thinking about. The ones you cared about and the ones that you weren't careful with. And, it's, and, and can you imagine the holy eyes of God looking at you saying, why you say that? You know what I'm saying? I was toe up from the floor, Lord. You know, I, what do we say? What am I gonna say? This is not meant to scare you, it's, 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 it's intended to make you aware. The same God that died for you is gonna one give an account. It's like when your daddy gets mad at you. I mean, let's be careful here. It's by grace he's giving us this examination. But keep in mind, you ever seen in the court shows or in a, in a courtroom, the stenographer? the person that's sitting there taking in everything being said? Could you believe that in a very powerful way, the Holy Spirit is in essence a court reporter keeping a very detailed account of our words? Even the casual ones. And so he says, Be careful, guys. Be careful when you long for influence. And then James goes into detail about the destructive nature of words. He says in James chapter three, verse two, on down through five, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. We, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small park, the t- spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, it'll say. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire, sets itself uh, fire by hell. Go back to that next uh, slide just right before that. So it says it's a small spark but it creates a huge fire. And what he's saying is it's a small part of our body creating huge damage. And he says, anybody who is not, anyone who is not struggling in this area is actually perfect. So he's actually making a statement in there that this issue is for you. And for me. And so we need not take these moments because, you know, whenever you talk about the tongue, right, we're all convicted to some degree. One of the ways you can circumvent conviction is by thinking about someone else. It's like, you know what? Key should be talking. You know what? I'm going to take these notes for her. What was it? Matthew 12? Word. This is for you. This is for you. So don't think about nobody else. Take notes for you. (laughs) But I I don't actually want to go into a lot of detail about the tongue in the sense of 
how bad you're doing in this area as much as I actually want to talk in depth of how much the tongue has probably affected you in your own life. How words have been destructive towards you. In verse, go, go to the next one. Um, in verses uh, nine and 10, James chapter three, nine and 10, it says, with the tongue, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. James chapter three, verses nine and 10. Who have been made in the image and likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's saying this is the great contradiction of the tongue. The tongue, you have the ability with your words to bless and to curse. And he says it's very natural for us when we come and we say your mercies are new every day and we are blessing God and so to bless is to, now blessing can have a lot of different connotations to it but when it comes to words it means to speak favorably of. And he says, so we speak favorably of our God. But it says when it comes to men who have been made in God's image, we curse men. And so I think it is important that we know the depth of what James means when he says this. You see, cursing in the Bible and in speech is not always what we think it means in terms of good words and bad words. Right now, my, my kids, they, they love Beyonce like everybody else, and I love Beyonce. But we're, 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 watching, we're watching videos the other day, right, together, and you know, a song comes on, and they hear a word, they know that, and they're just like, he said it, and they're just, their hair is on fire. They heard that bad word. I told them not to, right? And so we've been conditioned from our youth to understand good words and bad words, and so we use the terminology cursing to go under the guise of bad words. But what we have to understand is when the Bible, the Bible's standard is higher than the American standard. And so we have to understand, just because you have clean vocabulary does not mean you're getting at the intention of what the Bible means. The Bible is not talking about a clean vocabulary. The Bible is talking about the intentions of the heart. And so when the scripture is talking about cursing, just as blessing is talking about favorable ways of speaking of someone, cursing is talking about destructive ways of talking about someone. So you can have clean language, but bad intentions. You know, someone can say, hey, uh, I can say, you know, um, hey, can you go over there and get me that water? Okay, Pastor James, whatever you say. And if you look at the words on paper, what you just said to me, it was very respectful. You know, you said Pastor James, which I don't require, praise God. But you said, you said, Pastor James, and you said, okay. But in effect, you used respect to disrespect me. Because in, in a way, it was like the heart of way, the way that you communicated with me had nothing to do with honor. In, a, in fact, what you wanted to do was show me that I'm doing this because you only say and do it, but I really don't want to do it. And when we really look at the intention and the heart of what we're saying, it really means I'm coming against you. Cursing in the Bible means I come against someone. And it's, and it's very powerful because the, the reverse of this is blessing. And blessing in the Bible is, has very deep meaning. Blessing in the Bible is something that fathers would do with their children. Blessing is something that parents would do over their kids in order to speak favorably into their life. 
And there's a great story about Jacob and Esau, two sons. And one of the sons, Jacob, who is a deceiver, ends up stealing his brother's birthright, right? And so he ends up, his brother was the older brother. The birthright basically is the inheritance. It's the way you know you're getting all the resources. It's the way you're gonna be in a good position to have all, everything come to you. He ends up giving away his birthright for a bowl of soup, the Bible says. He gives away the birthright. But with the blessing, Jacob ended up manipulating his dad, Isaac, so that he would get the blessing from his father. And you know what the text says burdened Esau the most? It wasn't the birthright and the inheritance. It was his blessing from his father. Genesis 27, 38, read, read here. Esau, after his brother had manipulated him out of the blessing that he longed for, the blessing that he had been waiting for his whole life, he had given up his birthright, take the inheritance, take the success, take the resources, but he says to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. And this is what happened. Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. And Esau is there crying and mourning because I want my dad to speak into my life. I want the blessing of my father so deeply. You can, you can take all the camels and take all the resources, but I need my dad to speak into my life. And he cries out for this blessing. He cries out for these favorable words from the authority figure of his life. And he is longing for it. And he goes around the rest of his life waiting and longing to just confront his brother because he knows his heart is broken because he does not have that blessing. And church, when you look at the expanse of our community, and you look at the situations that we come from, many of us have missed this fatherly blessing, this resource, this, the flow of favorable communication into our life. Many of us have not had that. And we are brought into a community together as brother and sister in Christ, with God as our Father, so that we would be a blessing to one another, and that we would speak into each other's lives. And the Proverbs tell us, in Proverbs 16 and 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. When we speak graciously to one another, when we speak kind to one another, when we speak favorably into one another's lives, we build each other up where the world has broken us down. Where the deceiver has taken away so much from us. And what will help us to see and to capture and recapture the vision of who we're called to be is what it says in verse nine. It says, we curse human beings who have been made in, the, in, the, in God's likeness. And so you cannot skirt past the picture of being made in the image of God. He says the reason why we lift each other up is because we all value each other and know that each of us has been made in the image of God. Or in Latin they would say the imago Dei. In Genesis, the image of God was a picture. It was the icon. The same way when a king would have outside of his kingdom a, a statue of himself, they called it an icon. And it was this wonderful representation of himself. And so the image of God is saying that the value of the father should get passed down to the children. That intrinsically we all have value and worth. 
and that our value and worth, none of our value is based upon how we dress or how we look, but our value is based upon the fact that we are children of God and we see each other that way. <laughs> um, anybody ever uh, fly first class? Forgot where I was. Anybody ever fly coach? Praise God. I flew first class once. Yes, I flew. I flew one time in my life. I flew first class, but I, but I need to tell you how it happened. Um, I flew first class because um, my name is James T. Roberson III, and my dad's is James T. Roberson Jr. And so my dad has been working for IBM for a long time, and he flies with Delta, and um, he has what they call points, and he's got like a gold card, something or other. And so they thought that I was James T. Roberson Jr. And so I went to the airport and I had a totally different experience. <laughs> they have this room for gold people and it's called like the Holy of Holies and you go in there <laughs> and you can walk in and they have like people in there like serving you and it's amazing and it's crazy. And then I got on the flight and I had never, I mean I always thought the seat was bigger but it's a totally different experience. <laughs> Like I went in there and I, I go and they, they sit you down and the, the seat is bigger. But like, you know how we get, well, <laughs> since all, all y'all know about the coach, y'all know in coach where you only get like peanuts and you know, they, you, you get the cup, you don't even get the can sometimes, you, you can get the cup. So you, get, so you get some pretzels and some orange juice or some coffee or whatever. First class, man, it was like everything I could ever want. Like, and they kept asking me, like they give you the can straight up and down. That's not, but then they had food and they had like, the air conditioning was a little bit better and, I, and the people were nicer. I'm not saying, I don't know, but it was just a better conversation, but it was amazing. <laughs> so you had all this room and then, and you know, and, and of course, you know, she's sitting there like, Mr. Roberson, what do you need? And they keep coming back, they keep coming back, they keep coming back. And it was amazing. And I thought about this and I was like, this is what my daddy gets, praise God. I was like, I need to get my points up. But it, it amazed me how they treated me when they gave me the value of my father. It was amazing how they treated me when they gave me the same value they give to my father. And when the Bible says we've been made in the image of God, that's only part of our story. The Bible also says we've been seated and positioned in Christ. We are in his seat. Meaning that when we see one another, I don't look at you based upon how you dress, how you sound, how you look. I look at you based upon the fact that you've been made in the image of God. And I give you that first class value. And the power of Jesus Christ is that he would walk up to prostitutes. He would walk up to tax collectors. He would walk up to the oppressed, the marginalized, and everyone who felt that they were cast out and he treated them first class. And the reality is, is that you have people in your mind that you treat first class and you have people in your mind that you treat and coach. And if we are gonna be true to this text, we are going to fight to move everyone up, everyone's value up. Not based upon what you've done to me, not based upon how favorable you look to me, not based upon your background, not based upon my preferences. I give you intrinsic value and worth, bottom line. That is to live to this standard he speaks of. My buddy, he's out in Dubai. 
and he told me about this one airliner, and he showed me a picture of it. The whole thing is first class. Like the whole flight. Like there's no coach. And I was like, yo, isn't that crazy? We've been conditioned to think there are two classes to this thing. And that's what I want to get at. The world has conditioned us to think there are two classes in the way we communicate. And we have to keep our mind in the text to see people one way. And the more I stared at that, that, that flight, that airliner from Dubai, the more it made me re-look at the airliners here, the, the, the planes here. And what I'm telling you is the more you keep your eyes in the text and the more you realize what God says about you and what God says about others, your language will obviously lift up because you will see people differently. People have been made in God's image. That means when we gossip and we slander, it is not just an assault on that person, it is an assault on the glory of God. Because you are attacking the family name. You see, we have to be sensitive about God's kids. Imagine you had a kid in school and they wrote down what another kid said about my child and I had it on paper and I would want you to give an account for that. What did you say about my child? That's my baby. You see, that's what it means to give an account. Not because God is attacking you, it's because God cares for both of you. He, doesn't lo- he does not have a caste system. And so what is the church intended to be? In verse 11, James asks a question. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The pitcher he gives different analogies of grapevines and figs, but the one he does twice in 11 and 12 is of fresh water and salt water, and he's talking about one spring. There's this one spring, this reservoir, that he says, you can't have both there. It will be rooted into a system, connected into a body of water and it will come up and whatever it is connected to, it will produce. And that whatever it is connected to, what it's connected to will not be fresh and clean water and salt water rather. It will either be to salt water or to fresh water. And it, and it is getting at the picture of the spring. What is the, what is the root? Where is the spring connected? What reservoir is it connected to? And if our hearts are connected to this world and how it sees people, that's what will spring from us. And yet if our hearts are connected to the way that God sees me and God sees you, that's what it'll produce. And I love this image of clean water. Because every analogy here is giving a picture of either water or grapevines or figs, but they are all communally, communal ideas, things that the community could benefit from. And that is exactly what the spring would be. It would be this place where people could come and drink and receive. And that is what people want when they come into a church. They have been out there already. And they've heard all types of things about themselves. 
And when they step into a community of God, they're expecting that fresh, refreshing, living water flowing from us as a community through our words. They're expecting that when we sing these songs about God and how valuable he is, that it will come down to them. And they will expect that we take things like loving our enemy. That means that even when they, people, frustrate us, we will still be a blessing to them. The Bible does not say bless those who bless you. The Bible tells us to bless those who curse us. The Bible says, you know when it says to love your enemy, he says, what benefit do you have when you love people who already love you? There is nothing distinct about that. What makes us distinct, what makes our world, the Christian world powerful, what makes us being the people of God powerful is when we contradict the way the world operates and we love anyway and we bless anyway. And the question is, where are you connected? Your words flow from that. But what is sad and what we know to be true is that oftentimes the church does poorly in this area. And you know what's sad? The community will drink anyway. You know, in Africa, there are these villages where there's water there, and the water is polluting people's bodies, but they drink anyway because they're like, this is all we have. And the assumption that people have is that we are this fresh water producing place where you will get built up, loved, encouraged, and blessed. And so if you get torn down, gossiped, and slandered, people will still come anyway. They'll endure it anyway. And they will drink from a dirty reservoir because they are thirsty. And what the Bible gives us a picture of is for us to reimagine ourselves and to reimagine our God and what He says about us and to reconnect our hearts, not to the daily entree of words from our friends and our family and social media and from all that the world has to give us, not that buffet, but rather to connect ourselves to the beauty of God and the glory of God and to remember that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me and he became a curse for me And the blessing I ought to give to people isn't because I've done something good, but Christ died for me. And I connect my heart to that on a daily basis. And I want that reservoir of God flowing over my life so I can bless other people. And we are called to be a fresh reservoir to this community, an oasis to this community. And so when people come, they say, you know what, I know I talk too much and I, and I know I do stupid things, but you still care for me and you still love me. You know what, I know, I, I, know I, I can get loud and I get angry sometimes, but I've noticed your patience, I've noticed your kindness, I've noticed your joy, I've noticed how you put up with me, I noticed that and you're different. This community is different. And our orthodoxy means nothing when our words mischaracterize people. Our worship means nothing when our words bring people down. Our community is fake love if we do not love people in their faults. We are a charade, a mockery, a sham, hypocrisy. We are looking like love, but we are faking it if we do not put up with people that are not like us. Love 
is not based upon preference. Love is not based upon how you sound. Love is not based upon how much I can get it in with you. Love means I will be patient when I lack patience. And it will be manifested through our words, our words, our words. And our words are never neutral. Our words are always building up, always tearing down. And you be that person. Be that person that when you see in our community that we are producing dirty water, produce fresh water. When you hear the gossip, you remind everyone that we are flawed too. Every one of us is responsible for the atmosphere we place ourselves in. Every one of us. And I charge you today Treat everyone first class. Everyone. We're going to have a time of communion. A time where we can reflect. And in this communion time, I ask that you just come and you just say, God, I am imperfect in this area but I come to the communion and I come reminding myself that you died for me and my flaws. You died because my sin has a consequence. And you take that bread and you break it and remind yourself of his death. And you take that cup and you drink and you remind yourself of the grace of God towards you and consume the body of Christ. Consume the blood of Christ. Let it be in you and flow in you and meditate deeply on what he has done for you. Meditate deeply on the fact that you are seated in heavenly places now. Meditate deeply on the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Meditate deeply on the fact that you can never be left nor forsaken. Meditate deeply on that. And in your meditating, and in your watching, and in your waiting, remind yourself of who God has been to you. If we can have the communion come. And then, in the back, there will be those there, standing and waiting for some of you that just need to confess, I need help in this area. I came from a home where we just, we tore people down like it was a sport. I, I, I've always been this way. I'm just, it's easy for me. Or you say, there have been words that have torn down my life and I, I still need healing in those areas. There are words that are still causing pain in my life. And I need God's healing. I need his fresh words in my life. And some of you, this sermon wasn't just about words for you, but the Holy Spirit was doing something else in you. And you've been coming to our church for a little while and you've been window shopping. You've been seeing people grow in Christ and other things and now you sense that God is calling you and you wanna take the next step. And if that is you, understand this. If you take that next step, Christ will forgive you for all of your sins. Past, present, and future. But in order to enact that agreement, he must have the leadership of your life. He must get in the driver's seat of your life. And so we're gonna give you an opportunity as you stand 
Some of you will go to the back and you'll pray over things in your life, areas in your life, but some of you will go to the back and all you need to tell the person in the back is, I wanna start the journey. I wanna start the journey today. I want to sense that value in my life. I wanna know him more. And that simple, that simple phrase will begin a conversation. Some will come, you'll just come down these aisle, the aisle, the, the middle aisle right here. You'll come down, take communion. Uh, our communion there, you just unwrap it and take the, uh, the cracker out and the drink. But you come down and then you'll go out the outer aisles, down the middle, back towards the outer aisles. But then others of you, you can take communion and pray if you need. But this time right here is a time for you to receive from your God and to engage him. Would you stand with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Holy Spirit, let your sight, let your sight become real to me. Holy Spirit, let me see people like you see people. Holy Spirit, let me see people like you see people. Help me to overcome bitterness. Help me to overcome anger. Help me to overcome loss. Help me to overcome pain. Help me to overcome words that have been flung my way. Help me through your power. We are not asking for a method or a tool. We're asking for the person of the Holy Spirit to guard my lips and my heart. I do not need a technique, I need your power. We are all, no one, no one needs to give advice after this sermon. Everyone needs to receive. And if anything, we talk about how we're working through our struggle, not how we have overcome. Holy Spirit, guard my lips because you're guarding my heart. And for those that want to start the journey, I ask that they would go back, not be ashamed, and begin the journey with Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.